Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Good to be back with all of our listeners again. We're so thankful to have this opportunity for all of us to be together each day right here on the program. On Search the Scriptures, we do exactly as the name suggests. We dig deep into God's Word. We look at it in detail. We try to understand what it says. We peel the layers of the onion back, so to speak, as I've said many times. We try to dig deep again, look at it in detail, and not just do a kind of a surface-level reading and study, but we want to help you understand the depths of God's Word. We want to try to get across its meaning to you in, in a clear way that's easy to understand and that makes sense for your everyday lives. We want to help you come closer to God by learning His Word more fully. Faith, after all, comes by hearing the Word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. Faith is not something that just happens to us. It's not something that we catch like a virus. It's not something that kind of sweeps over us. It's not something that comes upon us against our will. It's not something that God bestows upon some people but withholds from others. Some people say faith is a gift, but then there are a lot of people who don't have faith. Well, if God is not a respecter of persons, if he's not prejudiced, and the scriptures say that he is not, clearly and repeatedly they say that, well then why would he withhold it from some and bestow it upon others? No, that's not how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So as we learn the teachings of scripture and come to understand them properly, and make the proper applications to our lives as we believe what we have learned, that's how faith develops within us. And then we live by those teachings for the rest of our lives. Jesus said, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life, Romans 2 and verse 10. That's faith, and that's faithfulness. We want to help you develop that kind of faith. We want to help you not just believe in God, but believe in him so much that you want to walk with him and that you submit to his teachings, his will, as to how you can walk with him. And that would be to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as God's Son. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that believing in Jesus, you would make up your mind to, con to, to repent of your sins. As Jesus says, you must do in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3 and again in verse 5 in order to not perish. And also that you would openly confess your faith in him as God's son and your Lord and Savior. As again, Jesus stated, needs to be done in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. And then submit to him in baptism for the remission of your sins, at which point the blood that he shed on the cross will cleanse you of the guilt of all of your sins, and you can be relieved of that burden of carrying around that guilt every day of your life. Be removed. And Jesus taught that in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. The apostle Peter taught that 
on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Ananias, sent by the Lord himself to teach Saul of Tarsus, taught Saul that in Acts 22 and verse 16. Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord, Ananias told Saul. That's still the message for us today. And then from that point, having been reborn into Christ, having been made a new creation in him, begin to live your life for him and in him and with him for the rest of your life. And again, Revelation 2 and verse 10, Jesus said, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. We want to help you get to that point. We want to help you with that walk with Jesus toward heaven. We're going to continue our study talking about how we dedicate ourselves to God is important. And let me remind you that at the end of the program, as we do every day, we're going to tell you how you can contact us and receive a free Bible study that will help you learn right from the Bible what I've just been talking about, how to come to forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ, how to be reborn according to what the scriptures teach, how you can be assured of eternal life with him in heaven. Now, our study again, how we dedicate ourselves to God is important. We've looked at this, we've gone into great depth and detail, understanding what the scriptures teach on this subject. And we've noted some specific applications. We saw that how we are dedicated to God, how we dedicate ourselves to God is important when it comes to doctrine, that is what we believe and what we teach and what we practice. And don't ever let anybody sell the importance of doctrine short to you. It is extremely important. Doctrine simply means teaching. And if we want to walk with God faithfully, and if we want to be in a saved relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we've got to make sure we get the doctrine right. Now, I'm afraid that a whole lot of denominational preachers will minimize doctrine somehow trying to separate it from the gospel. It cannot be rightly separated. They are basically one and the same. How we dedicate ourselves to God is important when it comes to doctrine, what we believe, what we teach, what we practice. How we dedicate ourselves to God is important when it comes to how we obey God, how we follow his teachings, how we live an obedient life before him, particularly how we come, how we come to understand and obey the gospel message of salvation. And we talked about how we do not come into Christ. We cannot get to the point of being forgiven. We are not saved until we obey what Jesus said we must obey in order to be forgiven, in order to be saved, in order to come into him. And that is we must be baptized, immersed in the water, and for the right reasons. The reason for being forgiven 
and being saved and coming into Christ. Now, in our last program, we began to look at the principle that how we dedicate ourselves to God is important when it comes to how we worship God. A lot of people, they haven't given a whole lot of thought as to whether there's a right way, a correct way, a truthful way to worship God, or if they could just do it their way, or in pretty much any way that feels good to them. But as we noted, Jesus said, and again, these are the words of Jesus. In John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, the hour is coming, and now is, so it's not off in our future somewhere, it's here, when true worshipers, now we need to get that particular concept down in our mind, that there are true worshipers, and that necessarily infers that there are those then or could be those who are not true worshipers, when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So there are correct ways to worship God, and there are incorrect ways to worship God. We can't just make it up on our own. We can't just decide that, well, this feels good to me, or I like this. We must worship God his way, the way that he prescribes for us in Scripture. The word worship, the idea, the concept of worship is to bestow or demonstrate our adoration to God. I'm afraid that, and I don't know if this is the way it is all over the world, but certainly in our American culture, we have kind of devolved the whole concept of worship into something of a show or a feature of entertainment. We feel like we're supposed to be the ones who are the audience. And if the preacher doesn't do a good enough job of holding our attention and keeping us wrapped in, a, in our attention and, and, and just keeping us on the edge of our seats and making us understand, well then, we have not been properly served. If the song leader does not sing the songs that we like to hear, that really inspire us, that get us moving and our blood perking, you know, then we have not been properly served. If the prayer leader gets up and, and he kind of goes on too long or maybe he uses... Uh, certain words too much or phrases that we don't like, I mean, yeah, we haven't been properly served. And so we blame them for not leading us, not doing for us what we want to have done for us in our worship. But here's what we need. See, see that, that whole concept is backwards. We are not the audience when it comes to worship. God is the audience. 
Now, did you get that? God is the audience. He is the one we are worshiping. The preacher is not entertaining us. The song leader is not leading those songs strictly for our benefit to make us feel good. He simply is supposed to be leading us in our worship to God. We are the worshipers. We're the ones who are supposed to be worshiping. It's not done for us or to us. We are supposed to be doing it toward God. You see, we've got it all backwards. We need to get that straight in our heads so that we can have our hearts right when we come together to worship God. We need to worship God his way in the ways that he prescribes. Again, those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We began to look at this in some detail in our last program. We looked at the Lord's Supper. And we noted that when we are to partake of the Lord's Supper, we're to partake of the elements that Jesus used in instituting that supper. He used unleavened bread, and that unleavened bread represents the body of himself broken on the cross as the nails pierced through his hands and feet, not breaking bones, but breaking into and through his body. As the spear was pierced into his side, blood and water was shed, again, not breaking any bones, but breaking his body, breaking into it. And so the blood, the body, uh, rather the bread, the scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 26, 26 through 29, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, that he broke that bread and gave it to his apostles in instituting the Lord's Supper. Broke that bread and gave it to them. Said, this is my body broken for you. He gave them that cup, the fruit of the vine, the juice of the grape. This is my blood which is shed for you for the remission of sins. When the nails pierced his hands and feet, naturally blood flowed from those wounds. As the spear pierced his side, the scriptures tell us that blood and water came forth. The fruit, the cup, the fruit of the vine represents the blood that he shed on that cross for us and in our place, paying the debt for the guilt of our sin. We saw that in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, the scriptures teach us that the early church met on the first day of the week in order to partake of the Lord's Supper. The text says to break bread, and I don't know of anybody, any scholar who disputes that that's not a reference to the Lord's Supper. The first day of the week, every week has a first day. We need to partake of it on the first day of the week and on the first day of every week. That's the example we're given in Scripture. We can't make up what first day or what week or how often. We simply need to follow what the Scriptures teach. Every week has a first day. On the first day of the week, we need to partake of the Lord's Supper. As true worshipers, 
of God and of Christ. Just about every church that claims to be Christian and that comes together to worship God, as part of their worship, they will sing songs. But now there are different ways that that singing is practiced. In James chapter 5, in verse 13, we read, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. In Hebrews chapter 13 and, and verse uh, 15, the Hebrews writer says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Certainly, coming together and worshiping God through song would qualify in a major way as being that sacrifice of praise to God that the Hebrews writer calls the fruit of our lips. You can look at every single passage in the New Testament that refers to the singing of the early church and it is always the fruit of the lips the praise vocally we call it a cappella singing with which means technically without accompaniment referring to without musical accompaniment in ephesians chapter 5 in verse 19 speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now notice where the melody is made, in your heart, not on a piano or an organ or on drums or on guitars or any other mechanical instrument of music. In Colossians 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Always, every single passage that refers to the singing of the church in the New Testament, in worship and praise to God and Christ, is always singing, always from the heart, making melody in the heart. Never, ever refers anywhere in that New Testament worship to playing an instrument, a mechanical instrument of any kind. You won't find it in there. Now let me give you a little historical fact. Did you know that the church of our Lord for hundreds and hundreds of years did not use any mechanical instruments to accompany their singing. Not for hundreds and hundreds of years. And when it was introduced, initially, it caused great controversy in the church because they recognized that there's no example of that in the New Testament church, anywhere in the New Testament, and there's no authorization for it anywhere in the New Testament. Now you say, I didn't know that. I'm not surprised. Most people don't know that. They just have grown up 
going to some particular church that plays an organ, plays a piano, in some cases may have a full band in there, and they assume that's what's supposed to be done. But they haven't been taught on the matter from the scriptures, and they haven't studied the matter from the scriptures on their own. And try to find a choir anywhere in the New Testament church as far as their worship is concerned. You won't find that either. Notice those passages we looked at in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, and Colossians 3, and verse, uh, verse 16. It says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts. You won't find somebody doing your singing for you. That's what a choir is doing singing for you. You won't find that principle in the New Testament for the New Testament church worshiping God in song. But each one, each member, each Christian does the singing. They sing, opening up their hearts. They're offering their worship to God. Not listening to somebody else supposedly extending worship for them in their place. That's not a New Testament principle. Each of us is responsible before God to worship him individually. And in this case, singing praises to him and to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I encourage you, I'm not making this up. I'm simply, as we keep saying, we strive to do here in the program, helping you understand what the scriptures really say and not just going along with what a lot of people have been told over the years and that they assumed was the truth according to what God's word teaches. Look for yourself. Look for yourself. We'd be glad to send you some more literature on this if you'd like. Now, in a few moments, we'll tell you how to contact us, and you can receive a free Bible study that will help you learn the basics of Christianity. We'd also be glad to send you this program on CD, and all of this material is free. If you would like in particular, some material on how we should worship God in song, please specify that so we can know that you want that particular material. And we'd be glad to send it to you. And again, for free, we'll even take care of the postage. So write down that information, how to contact us, and then contact us. We hope to hear from you right away.